Welcome to the Get With It podcast. I will be your host, Elizabeth. This podcast will focus on the decline of women in technology and how our grassroots organization works with the community to foster relationships and reducing the gap of women in tech. We will be talking with both men and women on how to continue to move the needle forward on those relationships. For more information, please check us out at getwitit.org. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Get What It podcast. Today, we have Denise Vu Brody. Maiden name is Vu, right? That's correct. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're excited to have you on. Um, where are you calling us from? And based out of New York City, have been oh. living in New York since 2005 and stayed during the pandemic. Oh, you did? Okay. New York City. Like yes. City, city. City, city, as in the Upper West. So if anybody's listening to this and they're ever in the Upper West, they can ping me. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. Oh, my goodness. All right. So you're Eastern Standard Time. So um, I appreciate you jumping on on a Friday evening here. So um all right. Well, Denise, we got a lot to talk about, girls. So, but we got to start at the beginning, um, right around college, Virginia Tech-ish time, maybe. Sure, we can start there. Um, I grew up in Virginia, um, but a little bit around my background, um, and probably now because I always try to introduce myself as Denise Boo Brody instead of just Denise Brody. Uh, is to, you know, clarify, right, that uh, I am actually not originally from the U.S. I was born and raised in Vietnam. And in 1979, my mother, brother, and I escaped from Vietnam. Um, So, and literally, you know, the pie, like if you've ever looked at a life magazine or watched TV where you see boat people, that was myself. And I lived in refugee camp for about six months when I was a kid and then eventually landed in Richmond, Virginia, because I was very fortunate. I feel gratitude because my great aunt was already here and she came through the Catholic church um, in the early seventies. And we got sponsorship because you could not be in refugee camp and not have sponsorship. You either ended up landing if you didn't have the sponsorship into whatever destination you either ended up went, going to Canada or you went to Australia or you went to France. And I think like Israel picked up one boat of, uh, you know, Vietnamese refugee uh, folks, but it was very tough getting into a country. So of course my heart always goes out whenever I see now, you know, on TV, all the folks that are displaced, what's going on in the world uh, with all of the refugees. So that's pretty intense girl. So you were on a, you were literally you and your brother and your mom escaped from Vietnam on a boat here. Yeah, uh, we How went to Malaysia. I was about uh, five and a half when we escaped. Oh. And to make it even more dramatic, um, you know, my mother had four kids in her first marriage, and it's very much Sophie's choice, right? She only had two hands, so I happened to be one of the two middle kids. And that was my, it was my destiny to go. My younger brother escaped with my um, uncle who got caught in the escape. 
And he was pretty much told that he went to prison, by the way, and he was told that if he tried to escape again and anybody in the family was with him, everybody would go to prison. So the second escape, he actually left, but left my brother and did not take my brother. Um, and so we met uh, my uncle out in refugee camp. Uh, and by the way, my brother, my youngest brother and my oldest sister, I didn't meet them until I was 21. And where did you meet them? They, we ended up, uh, my mother, when I was uh, finishing up college, finally became a U.S. citizen. And through that, we were able to sponsor them to the U.S. So I actually didn't grow up with them. I always felt this, you know, gratitude of being like a chosen child and having the opportunity to come and live the American dream. Oh, my God. That's really intense. Yeah. By the way. People listening to this, I had no idea. <laughs> wow. All right. Wow. Huh. We might need to have some wine here, girl. What? That was. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 whenever I tell the story and I think about it, it's been, you know, I came here in 1980 and I still feel like I get tears from it. Wow. 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 That's, that's intense. Okay. So fast forward a little bit. Clearly you went to school, right? Like yeah, you were absolutely. engrossed into American culture, right? Yeah. I actually, when I started kindergarten, I spoke no English at all. I grew up in a very, you know, single mother, very conservative background. I spoke Vietnamese. I grew up with like my 30 plus cousins, spoke Vietnamese at home, only spoke English at school. The only word that I knew coming into the U.S. was high because the number high spelled H-A-I is the same thing as high when you wave to people. Um, and I always felt like I grew up in this very like split life, right? At school, I was trying to be American, but at home, I was constantly reminded that I was Vietnamese and literally we are not to assimilate to the point where we would lose our culture, if that made sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Which was pretty common, to be honest, right? Yeah. Nobody. So America being the melting pot. Um, okay. So you were in school. Um, you clearly speak beautiful English better than myself, I think. You know what so. is crazy? I'm so like, uh, I have the moments where whenever I write, I, I think, I count my blessings that Google like corrects things for you, right? And um, sometimes like, because Vietnamese doesn't have conjugation. So a lot of times I'll write like, we go, we don't have tenses either. So you only know that we went somewhere a month ago or a day ago because we get the reference of the day. And sometimes when I write English, I'll forget the S or I'm not in the right tense and I'll reread it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, after being here for so long, I still struggle with it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So you clearly go to high school, graduate, and you you go off to Virginia Tech, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, my journey through school is I always saw when I went to school, there was such an amazing opportunity to learn. And for me growing up, I love to read. Um, people can't see it because you're seeing me through the Zoom, but literally like oh, I, I have tons book. of books. <laughs> I love to read. And that came, you know, for me as a child, it was an escape. Sometimes on Saturdays, my mother would drop me off at the library, wouldn't see me until five. And I was just always around books. And that's how I learned. I learned speaking English by watching TV. 
The Cosby Show, by the way, was my favorite show growing up. And the only reason why my name is Denise is that because of Denise Huxtable from The Cosby Show. Oh my show. gosh. And people just could not pronounce my real name. So my real name is Huang, which is very hard if you're not Vietnamese um, to pronounce it. So when I became a citizen, I just decided to change it to Denise because I love the show. And I was like, I'm going to make it easy for the Americans to pronounce my name. Um, the interesting part was, you know, a lot of times you hear a lot about tiger moms and, you know, especially with immigrants. I didn't have that because my mother grew up with uh, left Vietnam with an eighth grade education. She grew up in the countryside. She's worked literally, um, you know, our laborly work, all labor work all her life. And so she kept saying to me, the best thing you can do with your life is to be a beautician and not have the opportunity costs of going to college. And I saw that everybody around me was going to college. They had other aspirations and I was like, oh, let me just apply for a few scholarships and see if I could land a few things. And maybe I'll take some AP classes like in English and history and place out. And that would help me save like a semester's worth of, uh, you know, tuition. Um, and ironically, my brother did brilliant at school. He graduated salutatorian. He was top of his class. And I was just like, I got to figure out how to get to college to escape poverty, right? I mean, we always lived below uh, the poverty line, you know, as a kid, I was always really embarrassed because you had those free lunch tickets and everybody knew who was poor. And every time I would go to lunch and if I lost my lunch ticket, I didn't eat for the whole week, but I would, you know, pull off the lunch ticket. I always felt really embarrassed by that. And of course, you know, we grew up on welfare and, uh, on, you know, literally lived in low income housing. And I just remember, I was like, I got to go to college, but my motivation was not really right. Cause I had gotten the scholarships. I knew I could do the work, but I actually followed a boy to Virginia Tech. And I literally was like, I'm just going to go, you know, I had um, just took a leap and then I got to school and I really enjoyed it. I was a complete introvert growing up and through college, I became an extrovert. I joined a sorority. I joined a bunch of leadership roles and I really spread my wings in college. And, you know, when I was in school, I had an opportunity to, you know, major and I had a double in marketing and production operations, uh, a minor in women's studies. And ironically, I took cold ball. And as I was coming out in 96, everybody was like, oh, you program and COBOL and all these tech, um, you know, opportunities were coming. And I was like, oh, this is good. You know, I'll go uh, maybe apply and get offers in tech. And that's what ended up happening. But I did not intend to go to tech. Uh, I actually only wanted to work for a couple of years because I really wanted to go to law school. I figured, you know, with uh, being an immigrant, um, a woman, my goal was to go to law school and focus on those areas. And that's why I have the minor women's studies, but I went to tech and I never went to law school because I loved it so much. And I had so much fun and I just felt like the sky was the limit because if I had grown up in Vietnam, I would have never gotten any of these opportunities at all. And I just, I didn't see a ceiling. I know everybody talks about the ceiling. I didn't feel it. I didn't see it. Um, and I was just always like, if the opportunity is there, I would take it. Wow. 
um did you see my eyebrows go up like the look <laughs> when you said you followed a boy to yes it's uh, yeah see it all ends up working out it was just I made the most of it but you know like I thought back and I was thinking oh my gosh what was I thinking <laughs> <laughs> clearly that boy did not turn out as successful as you did I, we have not kept in touch, so I would not know, but know. sometimes, you know, you, you make these uh, idiotic decisions in the moment. And the question is, what do you end up doing with it? Right. It's all your mindset once you get there. Well, that's awesome. You took full advantage. That is great. So you go into the tech field. Were you a developer? Ironically, because I had COBOL background, I spent the first five years doing development. And I'm telling you, I hated it. I almost got fired on my first job because I was so bad. But I was like, I'm one of these people, I just have this very strong mindset. Like if I fail at something, I'm going to do it 10 times better. So at that time, um, you know, ABAB or the SAP language was super popular. They were looking for people to come in and build, you know, apps to create extensions and some of the business and my background. Um, I got placed on a lot of like manufacturing, doing conversions. And as I said, I was so bad, they almost fired me on the first job, but I redeemed myself. And eventually I came back and taught the college classes as part of people coming out of school for op And I did conversions and specialized for that in Y2K. Um, and had so much fun because I kind of overcame my fear. I was always one of these people, like if I was bad at something, I would just press on, shift my mindset and conquer it. And once I conquered it, then I could move on. Gotcha. Okay. So you've moved on from developing. Yes. What was um, the next step? So next step, because I mentioned I had a double in marketing. And by the way, I never planned to really use my marketing degree. I always felt that the production operations was the interesting one because I wanted to really focus on, um, you know, quality control and go to the manufacturing floor and optimize processes. But what ended up happening was I did, you know, consulting, conversion projects, technical work for about five years. And then a small little company called Top Tier um, through a friend of mine, uh, they were looking for somebody to do product marketing as part of it, right? So it's blended product marketing, product management, and it was building out the entire content strategy. And I didn't even mention, I had spent about a year during that five years also implementing uh, a CRM package. And this company was building a content roadmap for portals. And given my background, they recruited me and I moved to California as part of that and went to this tiny little startup with about 300 folks. And within a few months that I got there, SAP came in and acquired us. And then that led me, I literally was coming from this tiny startup, 300 people into 32,000 people at SAP. And by the time I left SAP after 15 years, um, there were almost a hundred thousand people through all the acquisitions. And oh my gosh. as I, yeah, as I journeyed into SAP again, you know, I, when I came um, from the acquisition doing product marketing, I noticed, wow, there's 13 people doing my job 
And I'm the one that would be leading the roadmap and transitioning everything and reporting to somebody. So I turned to my boss at that time and I said, can I get out of, can I do more like sales business development and just transition and do other things and maybe launch new products? Cause I had a technical background and they put me into a new area. I did business development for a period of time. Then I ran operations for fast growth markets. Um, I was kind of, then I headed up one of the acquisitions for a uh, compliance product, which by the way, was crazy. This little company we acquired for like 15 million and the goal was 53 million and nobody wanted it. And I was like, you know, in my late twenties and I was like, I don't have family. I don't care. I'll take it. Um, and that was wildly successful. And by the third year, we tripled the business and eventually acquired a few other things, which led into about a 600 million um, business within the company. And then I just started to progress and do different things. I got tapped by the chief um, strategy officer to come in and run competitive market intelligence, take it out of marketing, put it into the board area, um, and then run solution marketing, value engineering, uh, the benchmark area. And eventually I ended my stint at SAP as a COO with marketing communications responsibilities, and which was about a $10 billion business. So it was a lot of fun and it was a little bit of a zigzag between all the different roles, as well as just the different experiences. I spent my time at SAP really thinking about you know, what skills am I missing? And I spent more time filling in the holes. I knew I wanted to do operations, marketing, business development, um, enablement, training. And then that helped me to really think long-term. By the way, I don't, to be honest with you, up until I got into my early 40s, I had no idea or desire to even sit in the C-suite. It just kind of happened that, the zigzags and the sponsorship got me there. Um, but I really looked at how do you balance execution and sponsorship, and then everything else would work itself out. Gotcha. Did you? Okay, so from that point, where did you go to? After that, I went to do a private equity turnaround, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, private equity itself has different, you know, constraints and investments, but we doubled the revenue, took the product from singleton into to more of a hybrid or multi-tenant environment. We sold that business to another private equity in the fourth year. I stayed for another year. And then I was really at the 24, 25-ish timeframe. I was actually going to just retire and sit on boards and do different things. I was kind of like, I'm kind of done being an operator. It's a lot of work. You rebuild a lot of teams. You, um, It's also hard on your family, right? And I have a super supportive family as part of the journey. Um, so after I was thinking, oh, I'm going to retire, I ended up meeting the CEO at Appian. And this is where I am right now. We focus on low code um, development. So instead of developing in traditional high code, we let people drag and drop and we build apps that are for the enterprise. So if you're, you know, at, uh, let's say a Goldman or a Merck, you can actually, they use our software in order to facilitate some of the workflows as well as some of the apps that are needed in their various uh, enterprise. And 
that that has brought me here for the last uh, year and change. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, what I found is I'm, I also love being in the growth stage, right? At Top Tier was a startup. At SAP, it was a mature company. And Appian is perfect because it's right in what I call a scale up. And there's a lot of opportunities for growth, but to also innovate and kind of take my, you know, 25 plus years of experience and help a business grow and cross a billion dollar mark. Wow, that's exciting. So um, I've seen Appian. I've seen the, because <laughs> low code is like a hot thing right now. It People is. Like me can do it. Yeah. It's, you know, what I always love is that in low code, there's this great persona of what I call the business technologist, right? It's the perfect bridge between IT and and um, the business. And if you're coming from a STEM background um, or you have coding, so let's say you have outdated coding skills like me, like COBOL or ABOB, um, you could actually come in in two weeks, learn low code. Um, and it really democratizes access to development and brings so many more developers into you know, the overall umbrella. And don't forget, like from now until 2026, we're missing 37 million developers to do all the work across so the all these you know enterprises and organizations so there's a huge opportunity and when i look at just low code itself it's also a great way to democratize access so when i think about somebody like myself that may not have the traditional computer science background or grew up poor where you don't have, you're not playing with, you know, Java and programming in C++ or um, in Python when you're in high school, you just don't have that access. It's just a great way to bring so many more people into technology and into development. So um, I think I know the answer to this, but when you're in that C-suite, how many of your fellow females are in that C-suite with you? Uh, I've, I always feel lucky if there's two of us, um, but, uh, you know, two to three would be great. Um, there are much more women needed in the C-suite, right? And this is the only way to change the diversity conversation. Because look, you know, everybody focuses on diversity, but diversity is just a number. If you really want to drive change, you need to drive inclusion and inclusion is the intention as part of this. So when I look at, you know, everybody at the table, it's just not a matter of male or female. It's also, you know, people like myself that just come from a very different background Um, and it's diversity of thought, it's diversity in the way that we approach things as part of this. And I would say even things that, you know, I bring to the table because of my Vietnamese background, I look at work as very much like an extended family. And that's how I grew up, right? But if you probably talk to many Americans, I'm not sure if everybody views work that way. Um, and I wonder <laughs> work would be different if we viewed everybody as a potential family member and the way we treated them or like a friendship. Uh, it's very I totally agree. Up, yeah, we grew up so communal. Um, and I think that diversity changes the way that we engage, the way we build culture, the way that we are with each other, and the the way that we bring people together as part of it. Because at the end, 
And no matter what we do, right? Like we are in the people business. It doesn't matter that Appian is a software company. At the end, we're in the people business. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So when you're not like kicking ass at Appian, <laughs> what do you do for fun? So many things. I love to hang out with my family, of course. We are always roaming the city. I think during the pandemic, we have walked in every single neighborhood. We'll sometimes even walk from the Upper West down to Chinatown and walk back because we were not using the subway that much. We hike a lot. Uh, we hike in Rome. Um, and of course, we love Wait, to Wait, you went and hiked in Rome? Hiked all over, hike oh. and roam around, roam oh, around. Rome. I thought you said Rome. I was like, what? That's, that was random. <laughs> we're, we're roamers. I always say we roam everywhere. It's, you know, we'll go, we'll literally travel into any city and try to find the nooks and crannies of the city. Um, so we like to really um, roam around. Do you have kids? Yes, two, two beautiful daughters. 11 and 13. um, And they're just so much fun. But I will tell you that uh, the best part about having children is they really ground you, right? (laughs) I think I became a much better leader, manager, just a person um, having children, because what they really force you to do is just to think about the compassion and the empathy. Mm -hmm. That they do. And they also try those patients. (laughs) <laughs> that too. You definitely <laughs> like to be much more patient, especially when you've got a tween. That's right. That's right. Wow. So, um, so you do a lot of hiking around the city, roaming. <laughs> not in Rome, but roaming. <laughs> roaming, not in Rome though. Um, anything else that you do? Love to cook, love to read, as you know already. So, oh, still keeping up with that reading, eh? I see all those books behind you. Have you read them all? These are my favorites. Behind me are all my favorite books. In the living room, there's more. I, you know, I try to only keep the few that I really love because it's New York. I mean, having a book in New York is like having one shoe, right? So <laughs> it's all trade-offs as part of it. Um, there looks like then, there's a hundred books behind you. Yeah, there's... Literally, I, I could live in a library. I just think there's so much to learn in the world. And I'm one of those people, like, if I don't know something, if I get assigned to something, I'm reading, I'm learning it, right? I am trying to figure out how to be a better human being as part of it. Wow. A lot of books there. <laughs> There's a lot of books. Cooking. You said cooking. What do you like to cook? Oh, my favorite thing to cook is Moroccan chicken. I have this great recipe. I used to take culinary classes uh, downtown before the pandemic. And I took a Moroccan cooking class. And one of my favorite things to make is still Moroccan chicken. I have made it a bazillion times. And, you know, before the pandemic, we used to have uh, Shabbat at our um, apartment, uh, usually at least once a month with a gathering of folks or even potluck parties and poker nights. So, uh, it's always fun to entertain and cook and be with other people. So how has like the pandemic, I mean, personally aside, right. Cause we all, you know, got affected personally, but how did it affect you in your, in your career? Did it? 
You know, the interesting part for me is it was a very good reset. Um, you know, I think that uh, after, at the time the pandemic hit, it was about 24 years. And even with the kids, I was always traveling between 50 to 70% because like global jobs. And once the pandemic hit, it was great in the aspect that like it was a forced slowdown. Um, so I had really time to think about you know, how do I better engage with the team? How do I make it more meaningful for them, even through a Zoom or Google Meets? Um, How do I do my job better? How do I be, how am I a better, you know, mother, leader, all of it? Uh, And I just thought it was such a great time to really be more self-aware, introspect. And for me, it was a period of reinvention. Um, and by the way, I did come to Appian also during the pandemic. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. And it actually has not changed anything. Like I had a chance to meet people through the pandemic, but after we got vaccinated and everything else, but I was much more intentional in figuring out how to keep the engagement with the team high, higher talent, um, as well as just making the work not only meaningful for myself, but everybody around me. And it's been such a fun transformation. I tell the team, you know, we're in a three to five year transformation. You know, we are in a great market, but the market for low code is converging. And for at Appian, we're always trying to figure out like, you know, as part of the marketing function, how do we elevate the messaging and positioning? How do we come in and actually, you know, build quality pipeline? How do we create that market awareness all through the pandemic? Um, and it was such a fun year to, to be part of the transformation with the team. We actually um, drove, you know, 39% growth in our business from a subscription perspective. We actually increased our pipeline as part of the pandemic, all stuff that you typically don't hear about. And we more than doubled our team. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was a reset for me, um, but it was also a much needed reset. I think that we're always running to something, right? And I think that before the pandemic, everybody was running to something. And I wonder sometimes if that leads to burnout and for us to have a little bit of this, you know, forcing reset where we reinvent ourselves and what's important to us. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think a lot of people had uh, quite the eye opening um, during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, plus, um, you know, you really think through what is important, right? And I always joke about in the pandemic, especially for marketers, it's the best, you know, ABA testing of the fact that we didn't need events anymore. I mean, we're grateful to be able to have some events now, but even the demand gen side, you don't need as many events, right? You can do stuff through digital. You can do that stuff through other channels as part of it. And then as we're in the pandemic, you have more time to be more strategic, more time to think about, you know, how do you drive change and impact versus really just going through your to-do list? Because before I'd be running off to meetings, one meeting after the next and not really having that downtime to think. Definitely. So um, Appian, Appian.com, right? Yes. Appian.com. Um, so 
if anybody is interested, they should go to the website, correct? Absolutely. By the way, you can join our community. You can come in and get, you know, updates on what we're working on as part of it. Um, And then we've got a trials environment. So we have an entire certification uh, where you can come in and in two weeks become low code ready and you can come onto a trials platform and build an app. You can come in and test run our process mining solution. You can look at, you know, solutions that partners have built as part of it. So we welcome anybody that wants to learn. Wow. That's pretty cool. So they just go to the website and they can find all of this information. Yeah. All right. Appian, A-P-P-I-A-N.com, right? That's correct. Okay. I was like to make sure I say it correctly because just like last names, I can screw up the the (laughs) web addresses too. (laughs) Yes, it's Appian. We kind of don't like it when people go Appian, but it's Appian. That's the correct (laughs) way to pronounce it. I was looking it up and I figured it was Appian because um, I've, I've seen it before. And um, um, I had to chuckle. I'm like, I wonder how many people say this wrong. Yes. <laughs> you probably cringe when they say it wrong. Like, oh, that's yeah, not right. <laughs> All right. So along with subscribing to the community and whatnot, is there an if people are interested in learning more about joining as a as a job, is there like a human resource or contact us or however that works. Yeah, absolutely. You can go onto the career site. You can actually watch a video on just our culture. You can see the open roles as part of that. Um, And of course, by the way, you know, it's interesting if you go into LinkedIn LinkedIn, and you just put in Appian, um, you know, jobs, there's actually over 200,000 jobs across the globe open uh, between all of our partners, our customers, Appian, ourselves. So it's quite amazing to see all of the interest out there from, you know, the the market. That's crazy. It is crazy. Wow. I liked the statistic you said, um, needing all those developers, man, that's true. Technology is not going away. No, not at all. And I think that, you know, as women, there's a little bit of fear of coming into technology, right? I think that don't forget you, I started on the coding and I thought it gave me a great foundation for the five years. But if you decide to do it for one year or don't not to do it at all, there's so many roles within technology, right? So don't forget, I actually, in my last uh, role, I recruited an English major to come in and do content editing, who was like, she said to me, she goes, I would have never thought to come into tech as part of this. And there are so many roles in tech. And so don't think that just because you don't have, you know, a development background, or you don't have a computer science background, doesn't mean that you cannot be part of the tech movement. We need more women in tech. Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, that's awesome that, um, so are you going to stick around for a while at Appian? I mean, you don't have to like divulge anything in case somebody's listening, but, uh, is this like, uh, you know, going to stick around for a while kind of gig? I love the culture here. We're a culture of dissent 
And uh, I always joke about it with our CEO that, you know, literally if I could argue with him for the first time we met, I knew we would be fine. My goal is actually to not only retire here, but help the company cross the billion dollar mark. Wow. Wow. Well, if anybody can do it, it would be definitely you. You've been across that a couple of times, haven't you not? I have. And it's, yes. it's so much fun in this growth mode. And, you know, I know that we're not supposed to tell people that we want to retire somewhere, but it's been so much fun. <laughs> oh, I want to retire some, some, sometime <laughs> ever in my life. Yes. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So, um, what are, I always like to just throw random things. So like you clearly like books. Is there anything other, like, I love shoes. Is there oh. anything like, no? I'm, yeah? a, I'm a New Yorker. Come on. Can the amount of shoes and purses. That's why I said every book is a trade-off for one of those. Um, and the other thing I'm obsessed with, I love jewelry. I have uh, quite a bit of jewelry. I always joke about, I was like, maybe I should have been a jewelry designer or an interior designer or something like that. Uh, instead of being in tech, I, you know, whenever they create new business models, whether now they're renting jewelry, right. Or, um, putting out a subscription, I'm always like, gosh, I wish I did that. I really, I just think there's so much beauty and jewelry and especially diamonds and some of the, you know, now recycling so much of the stuff. Yes. There's a lot of other stuff that I'm, interested in collect. Wow. <laughs> the truth comes out, ladies. Shoes, purses, yes. and jewelry. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> yeah, plus as a New Yorker, jewelry takes up a lot less space. That is true. That is true. That is true. So you probably live in an apartment, right? I do. I do. Yeah, because you're right downtown, right? Yeah, I'm actually uptown on the upper west. Yeah, but it's a very different type of living, right? It's not the suburbs living um, and you don't have as much space. So every inch counts and it's a different. Don't forget, we have the pleasure of living across from a CVS that's open 24 hours a day, right? I never have to pick up my dry cleaning because it comes to the doorman. Um, so there's just many conveniences around New York. And as things are opening up, there's just also a great culture here. I love to go to museums. I love all the cultural stuff, shows. Uh, we live right around the corner from the opera. So there's just a lot to do. Wow. Wow. You don't own a car then, right? I do not own a car and you do not want me to drive for your <laughs> safety. Trust me. Everybody needs to understand their strengths and weaknesses in life. And mine would be literally driving. I, okay. I the only, I have this funny thing that I'll share, which is when the pandemic started uh, and, you know, when I took the role at Appian, I really wanted to spend the time with our CEO and the chief of staff. So my first week, I actually went to Tyson's, Virginia. And by the way, the crazy part was we were not vaccinated. I was trying to figure out how do I get there? So I drove myself. And before that, I've been in New York since 2005. I had not driven a car for more than 13 minutes because usually I pick up the car, we go hiking, I come back and pick up the family and my husband takes over. And literally during the uh, pandemic, as I'm driving, 
I literally, I had to pull over because, you know, you stick the, your mobile onto the little holder and it was winter. So all of a sudden the, the, the phone is like completely turned off because it's so hot. And then I pulled over and I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going. And I'm panicking because I was trying to figure out what was going on. And then I realized it's because I had the heat on. But if you don't drive, you don't know these things. And I swear, my family was calling me like every hour, making sure I was okay. And I'm like, don't call me. I cannot pick up the phone right now. Bye. Because I was heavily focused on getting there. But I did conquer my fears. I think I drove about four or five times during the pandemic to and from Tyson's. And the good part was there was nobody on the road because I was, was going to say there was probably nobody. <laughs> so I didn't have the chance to hurt anybody. <laughs> it was like you and the wildlife. <laughs> yes. But everybody jokes about it. I'm like, I'm really stressed because I, you know, have to drive. And then which meant I could only drive in daylight, just little things like that. As I say, know your, know your uh, strengths and weaknesses in life. And mine is oh. not driving. I love that. That's so funny. I love that. But you conquered it. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so now now that we're fully vaccinated, I will not drive. I literally, I'm either, you know, when I go to Tyson's, it's, uh, you know, on the train or um, flying. Gotcha. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. I did it. Been there, done that. I don't Check have to do it again. Done. done. <laughs> Take that off your bucket list. <laughs> Definitely won't be moving back on my bucket list. <laughs> well, that is awesome. Well, Denise, I totally appreciate you coming on and chatting with me. You are so fabulous. I love your energy. Um, but I know it's Friday evening, and I'm sure those kids are ready to have some Moroccan chicken. Oh, they're out and about, Elizabeth. The when they're twins, they don't like to hang out with you. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me. It was so fun to chat with you. And what a great way to end a Friday. Oh, definitely. Uh, definitely. Um, the best way to end a Friday. So um, I so appreciate you coming on and uh, telling us your story and uh, sharing some little some side stories, too, so that... <laughs> <laughs> we always like to know that everybody is normal, right? <laughs> Everybody's normal. We're all, you know, human beings at the end. We're all humans. That is right. So, so I thank you. Um, I know you're a busy ladies, so I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. So go and enjoy your Friday evening and your weekend. Do you have any major plans? Uh, this weekend, just cleaning the house. That's it. No plans. No plans. <laughs> It's going to be nice and relaxing, right? It is nice and relaxing. I don't know how warm it is there, though. Uh, I think we're going to get about 50, so it'll be a nice weekend. Well, you can open the windows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There you go. There you go. Well, then you enjoy, and thank you again, and um, I will probably talk to you real soon. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. We will see you next time and feel free to drop us a line at getwitit.org.